0: Uh, oh, my head. Oh! Ah! What the? Wait. Where? What? I'm in a box! Oh, no. No, no! Not the box. Oh, no. They can't transfer me. Not me. Oh, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Darkness creeping in. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Walls closing in around me. So alone so alone. Alex! Oh. Alex, are, are you there? Marty? Yeah. Talk to oh. me, buddy. Oh, Marty. You're here. What's going on? Are, are you okay? This doesn't look good, Marty. Alex? Marty? Is that you? Gloria, you're here too. I am loving the sound of your voice. What is going on? We're all in crates. Oh, no. I... Oh. Sleeping just knocks me out. Melman! Melman! Is that Melman? Are you okay? Hmm? Yeah. No, I'm fine. I often doze off while I'm getting an MRI. Melman, you're not getting an MRI. Cat scan? No, no cat scan. It's a transfer. It's a zoo transfer. Zoo transfer? Oh, no. No, no, I can't be transferred. I have an appointment with uh, Dr. Goldberg at five. There are prescriptions that have to be filled. No other zoo could afford my medical care. And I am not going HMO. Take it easy, Melman. It's going to be okay. We are going to be okay. Kizze. No, Marty, we're not gonna be Kizay Now, because of you, we're ruined. Because of me, I-I to see how this is my fault. You're kidding, right, Marty? You! You ticked off the people. You bit the hand, Marty. You bit the hand. I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. I gotta go find myself in the wild. Hey, hey. Oh, please. I did not ask you to come after me, did I? He does have a point. What? I did say we should stay at the zoo, but you guys... Melman, just shut it. You're the one that suggested this Alex. whole idea to him in the first place. Leave Melman out of this, please. 1st let's take a do a quick review. 2 weeks ago, we went through and we kicked it off with chapters 1 to 4, right? Now, uh, it was very tempting to just uh, treat that uh, those four chapters as a history book, right? As a history lesson because Moses went on and on and said about talked about uh, their exodus, their Egypt, how they got out and stuff like that. But then However, what I did with you all was to focus on one key word because it was repeated quite often in those chapters. And what was it? See. The verb to see, ra'a. Because it was repeated 11 times, like literally, but 66 times metaphorically, like not just see, but look, the command to look, the command to observe. It was like 66 times through chapters one to four. So Moses is The main focus, God is telling through Moses to his chosen people, the Jews at that time, to open their eyes and see. Open their eyes to see beyond themselves and focus on God's ultimate mission, ultimate vision for them and the world. To open their eyes rather than to look at themselves in their hearts. Because the Israelites throughout their whole history have become, has been, Historically, it has been short-sighted, and that's why that uh, the title of that sermon was entitled Myopia. And God said, "Stop being short-sighted." And how were they, these Israelites being short-sighted? They didn't have faith or trust in God. If you could recall part of their history when they were in uh, during the Exodus and they were wandering in the desert, what were they saying? Oh, this is too much, right? This is the hot sun. There's no food, right? I'm getting sunburned, right? Man, Moses, it's better to go back to Egypt. It's better to go back to Egypt. I, I, we shouldn't have left in the first place. Short-sightedness. Look at how, how quickly they became short-sighted. Because God fed them with manna, like Janus alluded to. Uh, God like, uh, gave them water. God parted the Red Sea for them. And they even, like, even before all that, they saw the, the plagues. How could they be so forgetful? It's because of their short-sightedness. They kept on focusing on themselves. And so we concluded that that week saying that without faith and trust in God, we will always be short-sighted. And we will lose out on witnessing and living out the biggest, life-fulfilling, blowing your mind adventure that God has in store for each of us. Why do I say that? It's because when the Israelites became short-sighted and tested God, what happened to that generation? They never touched the Promised Land. Instead, they went on this like detour for the longest time in the desert. And so how about us? If we do not have faith and trust in God, if we become short-sighted and just focus on ourselves, we might actually be losing out on the biggest life-fulfilling, blow your mind away adventure that God has in store for you and I. If we continue to see ourselves, see the short game that is in front of us and not yearn and desire to see what God wants us to see, to Have his eyes, so to speak, with one of the songs that we usually sing. We will miss his promise for us. All right. Now, next one. Chapters 5 to 7, last week. We went over chapters 5 to 7. We frequently studied chapter 5, right, for what? The Ten Commandments, right? That's where the Ten Commandments was repeated. Because the first that I mentioned of them were in Exodus. So in chapter 5, we tend to study study the Ten Commandments. Chapter six, we tend to cross-reference it with a New Testament passage because Jesus tend, uh, and Paul quotes it quite often in cha- of Chapter six. So usually, Chapter six gets touched and studied because we're studying something else in the New Testament. Then, of course, Chapter seven. Man, that 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 chapter is just. I don't, we just don't know, right? Because like you're talking about genocide at parts. You're talking about not intermarrying with foreigners. You're talking about destroying things, destroying people. What's up with that chapter? So we tend to ignore that one. However, last week, we, uh, we took a, I took a, you all to uh, focus on something else. Maybe focus on this particular phrase to read the entire three chapters. And what was that? And that was the theme on Egypt right? The theme about covenant, the theme about keeping our covenant with God. And here were were some of the phrases that that, um, we we mentioned. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, right? That was a covenant statement that God made to his people. And so Egypt, focusing on the phrase Egypt, because it was repeated many times through chapters 5 to 7, we said that in order to read chapters 5 to 7 properly, we have to read it in light of the covenant that God made to us, but then it was not so much of a statement that we uh, concluded with, right? Last week we didn't really say uh, I didn't give you a really a big thesis. It was more about this. If it was about a lot about had a lot about Egypt and it had a lot to do about Egypt, and if it had a lot to do about the Israelites not looking back and yearn and to have any desires of Egypt, I posed a question for all of us last week. Do we have our Egypts? Do we have our own Egypts? Here's what I mean by that. Our Egypt may not be the Egypt of Israel, uh, of Israel's Egypt. But Israel yearned something back in Egypt that, they, that that enticed them away from the covenant, enticed them away from a life, a covenant life with God, right? What was it? Well, it was basic necessities, right? It was food. It was shelter. It was not getting out of the hot sun. It was just basically back into their old life. They wanted to go back. What's our old life like? Because uh, the question for us was, have we really truly left Egypt? Or are we still entertaining little its in uh of the old self still left behind and in our hearts? Now, what does that Egypt look like? Some of us, it could be selfishness. Some of us could be greed. Some of us could be impatient, impatience with God. Some of us maybe, like it said, achievements, some of us anxiety, anger, or just temperament, hot temperament, right? Little things that we still entertain in our hearts, little bits of Egypt still left in us. And so the whole idea of it last week was more of have we really truly cut back and left Egypt? Have we truly just left it and say, no, I am a new person. I believe in the salvation that God has given me. I am saved. I'm redeemed. I'm my, I'm my, I I'm. have a new body, a new life. It's ahead of me, and I'm going to go after it. Or are we going to still entertain those little things and bits and crannies of our old self and just keep it in there so that God will not touch it, thinking that God will not have access to it or even see it? You follow? So the question of last week was, have we fully left Egypt. Because if we have not, then we have to wonder if we are really covenant people. Because a covenant is all in. Like a marriage, you go all in. So if we haven't really left our Egypt, if there's still little bits of it in our lives, are we really going to call ourselves God's children? Because Let's go back and read chapter 5 in the Ten Commandments. What's one of those commandments? Do not misuse God's name. And that's how you misuse God's name. By claiming that we are God's children, yet still haven't left Egypt. Follow? Let's move on. All right, don't bite the hand. That feeds you. (laughs) My dad said this many times to me. Um, yeah, it's like uh, he's, he's, a, he's a man with few words and when he speaks something, speak, uh, he does all these wise words. You know. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. What does that mean? How many of you have heard this term before? Raise a hand. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, for sure the nonprofit side, <laughs> right? Don't bite, bite the hand, right? If someone bites the hand that feeds them, they, it just basically means that they behave badly or disrespect towar- or ungrateful towards someone who they depend on. When a person says this to us, us, they are telling us not to scorn or treat ill those of whom we depend or uh, derive benefit from. Now, for example, we might not agree with our parents, right? Like uh, I'm sure all of us went through a phase called adolescence, (laughs) right? And uh, you know, and then when our parents say something that we don't like, right, Uh, like we disrespected sometimes, right? We rebel, and then suddenly we go into this little vicious spiral, of hating our parents, and then biting the hand. Uh, biting our biting our parents back because uh, we just have disrespect. No, like uh, that's one way to be biting the hand that feeds you. We also see that, unfortunately, for now these days, we see that in politics, right? Both north and south of the board of the 49th. It's like uh, we see that, uh, like, Politicians are not willing to bite the hand that feeds them. And so they just submit to that. So there's also a bad thing of, of that rule of thumb of not biting the hand because there's no way for rebuking the person. There's no way. So they, it could work, work in both ways. But however, the definition of biting the hand is just basically to show disrespect to the one who actually you need to derive benefit from, to survive on, to work to depend on. And so that's why I want to go into use that theme for today. And uh, if you have your Bibles with me, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we will begin. This morning, our thesis is this. We bite the hand of God when our heart is not towards God. Let me say that again. We bite the hand of God when our heart is not towards God. And you go, OK, how? How do we bite the hand? How, how does our heart not turn towards God? Well, let's go into Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1. And Brian read it uh, a little bit of it during uh, his time of leading us into worship. So thank you, Brian, but let's uh, read it together here. First of all, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse one. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised an oath to your ancestors. Now, remember our approach of the previous chapters that we look for repeated phrases? Remember that? Well, lo and behold, the word be careful is mentioned again. So it's in actually in verse 11. It goes, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you to this day. Sounds familiar? Sounds similar in a way? So if you were doing a Bible study with your small group, you would say to go, okay, there's be careful section one, then there's be careful section two. And so there are two sections in this chapter, and so therefore we have to read them in light of the be carefuls. So the two be carefuls divide our chapter today into two parts, one from verse 1 to 10, and the other one from verse 11 to 20. Now if you have your Bibles or there's a way to draw a line on your smartphone, then go for it, right, to make that divide. So part one, God tells his chosen people to be careful not to stop living a covenant life, i.e., not to lose sight on the ultimate promise, the land, and not just any land. This land is described as follows. Verse 7, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills when you have eaten and are satisfied. Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now, picture yourself. Put yourself in the Israelites' shoes right now. You have been wandering in the freaking desert for 40 years. Dry, barren, sun-baked. (laughs) sunburned, <laughs> right? Like, uh, you used to have black hair, now it's white because of the sun, right? It's a, it, right? It's like, you're just roasted. Desert, absolutely nothing. You've been eating manna, bread, vegetarian diet, great. You had a little bit of quail, great, right? But, it's not a really great place. You, you agree? In a desert. So for God to describe this land, it's almost a description of what? Salvation, isn't it? A description of their salvation. A description where it go for the particular people of how they would describe it, of what salvation would look like for them. Refreshment, water, food, right? Shelter, shade, resources, thing not barren, not like an absolute desert. So that's their definition of salvation. God knew what they were yearning for as in their salvation story, was land. Question for us today then, if we were going to bring that and contemporize it today, ask yourself, what's your salvation gonna look like? What's your promised land gonna look like? Here's what my promised land will look like. I don't know about yours, but here's mine. No allergies, (laughs) absolutely positively no allergies. Number one. No sinus infections, nothing. It's gone. Second, no lactose intolerance. I finally can eat ice cream again, right? I'm going, This is my salvation story here, not yours, mine, <laughs> right? This is what I'm looking for in the promised land. A body of like that guy Sean Millington that spoke. <laughs> like, I wouldn't mind to have that too. A glorious body, chiseled with ads of steel, so that Rosanna could touch and feel and whatever. <laughs> all right? Okay, too much information. So, <laughs> you get it, right? You get my salvation. Now, in all seriousness, basically, a salvation from illness, a salvation from depression, a salvation from anxiety, a salvation from burdens, a salvation that is the promised land. You follow? We may not see this, you know, the description of the land here for the Israelites as salvation for, you know, us, especially in the Western Hemisphere. But if you could describe that to somebody in Iraq or somebody in the Sudan desert, Sudanese desert, this is salvation for them. This is something that, and this is amazing because salvation is actually tangible, something that's material. God is a God of good things. God actually gives good things, not just these ethereal abstracts. You got it? Salvation is available, he says. I will give you good land, brooks, streams, refreshing. What are you in need of today? What are you in need of today? What, salvation, what is your picture of salvation? Have you prayed to God about that? Describe your salvation to him. All right, that's enough but you get what I'm talking about. It's not it has nothing to do with fame or power or worldly success, right? No, this salvation has a lot to do with an eternal, flourishing life with God. As you can see in this land, this description of this land, what does this promote? What does this land promote? It's this eternal, flourishing life with God. It's almost like a blast to Eden again. Notice that description? A blast back to Eden where we can have a full relationship with God, an intimate personal relationship with God. And so I still read, like, uh, if we re- read those commandments again, let's go back to those commandments and five, six, and seven, of all those commandments, and now we see, like, be careful to follow every command that God keeps on telling the Israelites, follow every command. If we re- now read the salvation part of it, wow, if you receive that, if you receive the salvation, you've been redeemed by God from your sins and now have the opportunity to have eternal life, an eternal flourishing life with God, read those commands again and you would say, of course I will not do those things. Do not covet, of course I won't covet my neighbor's belongings. Why? It's because I have everything. I have the flourishing eternal life with God. Why would I want that? Do not murder. Of course I will not have murderous thoughts or angry thoughts at others. I already have this covenant with God. I have this salvation here, with for me, waiting for me. Why do I need that? Or do not do not uh, worship any other idols. Of course I won't, because God has given me this. You follow? There is no that these are do not see these as a bunch of negative do nots and do nots and command and command. No, it's just basically God is telling us, that's who you are. It's just that's who you are. You don't you don't do those things because you won't. That's not who you are. However, let's move on. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 to 5. But what makes us veer away then? How come God would say, be careful then? Because it means that He's warning us on something, that the the temptation to veer away from this covenant life, from this salvation, what makes us forget about this, about this salvation life that He has for us? So let's go on. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Verse two to five. He goes like this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these forty years, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that was that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So what tempts us to veer away then? One word. No, it's not Baba. Close. Maybe Baba can be tempting you to veer away from God. Don't let that happen. Okay. Trials. Trials. Life's Trials when things just don't go our way. God allows us to experience trials. Look at Job, right? God allows us to experience trials so that we grow as covenant people. However, there are times when we are tempted to say, no, this ain't right. I know what's best for me, and if I know what's best for me, God should deliver me and provide me with what I know is best for me. Notice what I said. I know what's best for me, so God, give me what's best for me. God cannot possibly do something that I'm not like.? right? God cannot possibly do something that I don't like. The Israelites, did they really enjoy wandering in the desert? No, of course not. And how many times have they tested God and say, God, you don't know what's good for me. This ain't good, so I am leaving. See ya, right? They were very tempted to leave God, and some did, and some got swallowed up in that earth. Remember, they, it opened up, and then they fell in, and then it closed. Yeah, read it. It's, it's a funny story there. But think about it, though. These, the Israelites were in a trial for 40 years in the wilderness, wandering in the desert. They grumbled to God, saying, God, if you're so good, why are you not giving something that I feel good? If you're so good, do something that so that I could feel good. Many of the Israelites even told Moses, you know what's even good? It's Egypt. And so therefore, have they really truly left Egypt? No, are, their thoughts are still there in Egypt. Yeah, they would rather exit this covenant, this salvation promise, the promise of salvation as opposed to enduring through the trials. But God said, no, the trials that we face, you and I face each day, the big ones, the small ones, it is to test us. It is to discipline us, and the word discipline here is for us to grow, to mature, as we endure through these trials. As we continue to trust in God, what really grows is our deeper, we our trust is deepen in, in God, but also, our relationship is closer with God. Two things happen: we trust God, and our relationship is closer to God. In other words, if you want to really just uh, throw in a, uh, a Sunday school term. That's called spiritual maturity. That's how we mature. Our parents, well, my parents anyway, they discipline me for the sake of just making me, molding me to grow up. They give me the things that they give me tough things to do so that I could grow up. I was talking to Carmen like just this morning. Annabelle, my daughter, was taking hip hop and she's now in stage two in hip hop. And she says, I go, Did you have fun today? And she goes, No. I go, why? It's because it's so hard. And I go, if it's hard, if it's not hard, and it's really easy to do, is it really fun? And then it got her little brain ticking. Because she goes, yeah. And I go, if it's not hard then, would you ever get better at hip hop? Would you become like, and I use a reference point because that, that's only—that's the only thing that she knows. is like, it's a reference point to another person that she knows that does hip hop. Would you be like her, right? It's that whole trial in the maturity, it's all, God uses trials. God allows trials for us to deepen our trust in Him and to draw closer to Him. Trials. However, trials are not something that we like and that's why it is always susceptible to temptation for us, tempting for us to leave God's covenant. To say, you know what, it's really not that worth it. It's really not that good. God, this whole journey of living a life, a covenant life, it's tough. How come it's so painful, right? I'm always going upstream. I'm always going against the grain. It's tough. But God says, no, keep, be careful. Focus on the salvation promise. And that's why God said that in the earlier passage. Focus on that. Be careful. Don't let go. Endure. Don't let go of the covenant life. Okay. That's enough of that. Let's move on to Deuteronomy, the second part of this chapter. And that starts in verse 11. It goes like this, be careful. Again, the Lord says, be careful, that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you to this day. God, through Moses, is warning his people that the biggest reason for failing to live as a covenant people is, number two, they forgot about him. They've forgotten God. But what situations do we find ourselves in that would tempt us to forget about God? What situations do we find ourselves that we are tempted to forget about Him? Well, he goes on to say this. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Hmm. he's, I'm sorry, I skipped the whole passage. It's actually verse 12 to 14. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So how are we tempted to forget about God? Is when things go well, when things are normal. When things are going well, we have a, our income is flowing, Things are going well, we are able to buy the stuff that we want, just kosher, right? We forget about God. We are very tempted to forget about God. And then we treat this Sunday thing as just a mere penance, right? Like uh, we go, okay, we just got to make sure that that we go to church so that God will continue to bless us with the stuff that we have, the good stuff, right? Like uh, just to, like, Go to church so that hopefully God will forget about our sins that we committed during the whole week. So almost like treating God on a Sunday. Just see God on a Sunday and that's it. That's how we could forget about God. to just put Him in that Sunday and not any other day. We become complacent because we become so successful in our job, in our work, in our family. You know, our kids are behaving well, like we have a place, and like my husband loves me, and then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing is wrong right? That's when we actually are tempted to forget about God. So And then then God says this to his people. Now I go into verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. What happens next then? Pride. Agreed? It's pride. We become prideful. That's how we forget. Our pride suddenly overwhelms us and say, you know what? I did all this. And you know what? Benjamin Franklin, who is not a Christian, by the way, he would say the same thing. God helps those who help themselves. Right? That's pride right there. That's saying that, oh, you know what, everything's mine, I do what I like, and God just bless it, right? That's how we forget about God. We not necessarily forget about God by just about shunning him away, but we forget that how, who God is, and he is uh, the Lord of our life. He's the sustainer, he is our provider, and he deserves all our praise, all our, our, our entire lives. We just don't pay lip service at worship service. But we have a desire to live as covenant people every day. The temptation to not continue in the covenant life is when things are good, when things get really peachy. I always remember like um, when I was growing up, uh, in college especially, in university, we were in the fellowships. And uh, you know, a lot of my friends, except for me, because I was the least likely person to get married, um, there's a story behind that. <laughs> but, and then uh, a lot of my friends, the guy friends, uh, they started dating. And they had a lot of relationships, right? But when breakups happen, you know, the guys and I have a beard, and what do they do? Oh, I better go back to church. I-, I better study more Bible. I better do this. It's like, it's as so if this whole like, a breakup is like the most disastrous thing and crises that they have, right? But then these are the same people who forgot about God. These people just treated God on a Sunday, but then when crisis hits, when they, oh, when their girlfriend dumped them, right? Oh man, they get so pious. They, they go to church every Sunday. They start doing devotions. They start leading what, like uh, uh, fellowships and everything. I'm like, what are you trying to expect here? Are you expecting all this sudden obedience that God will bless you back with your girlfriend? Is it? Folks, that is forgetting God. You know, like times when like, uh, we treat sometimes this passage like forgetting God as if we just write him off, right? Like we just forget his name and everything. No, forgetting God is forgetting his role in our lives, forgetting who he is. We don't treat him like a jack in a box. We don't treat him like as if like, oh, we will only go there when we're in trouble, right? No, God is more than that. That's how we forget God. Remembering that God is the one who gives us each of us, everything, the abilities to live and who we are today, he's the one who gave it all to us. You know that everything from the good and the bad, that my that like my lactose intolerance, he gave it to me, okay? My, like, but then I also have good things. He gave it all. He made who I am today. And I have to remember that. God is my sustainer and my provider, my Adonai, my Yahweh, as Brian alluded to. So there's a choice to be made. And he says, uh, and God says, remember, be careful, always choose to remain in the covenant light for this salvation promise is awaiting for you. And that is why when uh, Jesus, when he was tempted in the desert, and and if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter four, verse one to four. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, what was Satan really tempting him to do? What was he really tempting him to do? Take a look at this. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. And guess where he got this from? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the God. That's from Deuteronomy here, Deuteronomy 8. So if you think about it, he says this. Jesus was was faced with a trial. He was hungry, right? He was hungry, yet he also know that he was God, fully capable of turning every single grain of the sand into rice in this desert, follow? So the temptations that he faced were exactly the temptations that God warned the Israelites, is it not? First, trials. Jesus was in the desert. He was wandering. He, had, he faced trials. He was hungry in the desert for how many days? 40, is there any parallel? Yes, but that's another story, right? This, he's facing trials. He could have easily just wrote off God and say, you know what, this whole endeavor, oh by the way, I actually know where I'm headed to, the cross, so I could actually stop this bus right now. But that, so he could, that just gave up and said this covenant life thing, this whole covenant, I would have just stopped the bus right there, he said. He could have said that. He was tempted to say that. And Satan actually tempted to say that. Oh, you think that God is so good? God is so great? And you're God? Why don't you just change this stuff into this stone into bread? Okay, temptation number two. What's that temptation? To count on ourselves. Remember that our second temptation here of how we could turn away from God is to say, I can do this. It's all about me. All this stuff that I can do, I could resolve it, I could do it. It's all about me, right? Jesus, same knew who Jesus was. He even knows the Bible quite well, and he goes, "You know what? You're God yourself. Why don't you just write off, uh, write off this whole covenant life thing, write off this whole thing, and just be who you are. Just do your full capacity. Just you could just do that." Notice the similarity. Jesus had <laughs> was tempted the same way when he was wandering in the desert. He faced the trials, faced the same temptations as we face today. And Satan's purpose in tempting Jesus, his whole thing was to veer him away from the covenant light, the ultimate promise that God has given us and has promised us is eternal, flourishing life with him. So let's close. When we face trials, of course, we want immediate solutions. When we face trials, we want immediate solutions. We don't like pain or discomfort. We don't like like the way that the coworkers are treating us, or the bosses, or family members, or relatives, or even our spouses, and so we immediately want to find a solution that works for us, as opposed to trusting in God. Right? That's what trials are. Like when we face trials, we're very tempted to just veer away and not trust in God. When good things arise, when we become very honky-dory and things just normalize, and we're getting what we want, when we are be able to buy whatever we want and we're enjoying life, we have a tendency to forget God too. We have a tendency to just say what Benjamin Franklin would say. God will help those who help themselves. But that's not Christian. That's not even part of the covenant light. We're supposed to give our all to God and allow God to be the Lord of our lives. In other words, whenever, when we are faced with the trials and, uh, and when we are faced with the temptation of, of just abundance, we have that temptation to turn our hearts away from God. And that's how we bite the hand of God. That's how we say, you know what God, I don't need you. We turn our hearts away from God. You know what God, I don't like this feeling of, this not likey feeling, this whole trials, I'm gonna turn away from you. That's how we bite the hand of God. And that, and you know what God, yeah, I could do it all my own. I'll go to you when I need you. That's how we bite the hand of God. And therefore, To conclude, let's ask ourselves this question today. First of all, a few questions, actually. First, what's your salvation? Have you, what do you need saving from? What is your salvation story? Each of us have our own. You probably had one when you were being baptized. How about now? Have you come to God in prayer and say, you know what? God, save me from this. What is your salvation? Because you know what? He will provide. He's a faithful God. He will provide you with salvation. He provides for the Israelites, he provides for me, and I guarantee he will provide for you the salvation. What's your salvation story? He promises to take care of you. He promised to never leave you. Like Janice shared, he'll not let you down. He never lets you down. He promises that. What's your salvation story then? What's your need of salvation today? Second, fix your eyes on that salvation. Fix your eyes on that promise because trials will come. And I bet some of you are facing those trials today. Some of you have shared that with me. Health trials, relational trials. Some of you are facing that today. Continue to fix your eyes on that promise of salvation. Flourishing. Are you flourishing right now? Are you uh, in a living in abundance right now? Do you feel that you're getting tempted? Are you Maybe you should have a reflection then. <laughs> Reflect upon God and just uh, pray to God and go, Lord, thank you for all these abundance, but what do you want me to do with this? Where do you want me to take it? What do you want to use this abundance with for? I'll humble me. Take away that pride. Take away that selfishness and self-centeredness and allow to... Have your Holy Spirit fill me to redirect my heart back to you because I do not want to bite your hand.